All right, so my wife and I are running down the road in the backwoods of East Texas. This is probably, I don't know, maybe three weeks to a month ago coming back from Louisiana. And if you know deep East Texas roads, when you get east of Huntsville, everything just kind of falls out, right? Uh, whether you have Verizon or AT&T, you're in a bind in some places. So we're out in the middle of there and we just had a three month old, we got a three and a half month old little baby boy and I think he's somewhere in here. Um, but we've been on this, I guess, path to finding stuff to work for the stage he's in. Anybody ever been there, right? There's a market for baby stuff, in case you haven't figured that out. I mean, thousands of dollars go into this from each individual family and, and or when you have a baby shower, people giving gifts. But so we're thinking about this new stage he's in and we're thinking about buying this thing that's gonna help us accomplish this two week period, right? And, and get him to not cry anymore. So where do we go? We go to Amazon. So she gets on Amazon, we're in the car driving, and she goes to order something on Amazon, and when she clicks the order button, guess what happens to the signal? Completely gone, no signal. So here we are sitting in the car in East Texas, wondering, did it charge the credit card? Did it go through? If I'm, it's not connected now, it's telling me it's not connected, sorry, retry. And you know it tells you don't hit the back button, because if you do, you could get double charged. So we're thinking, oh great, you know, the worst case scenario, worst time, we're gonna get charged twice for this, I'm gonna have two Amazon boxes at my door, and then we gotta go through the process of returning it. I say all that to say, we've all experienced internet connection issues, right? It's probably the easiest illustration I could use when I talk about connection, but think about it in terms of your own spiritual life. Our connection to God can be intermittent at times. And I think that's where I stand in coming into this. I had something totally different that I wanted to talk about eight months ago. And uh, started to prep for that and realized this is not where I'm at. So I'm gonna talk to you about where I'm at this morning. And I think it's a problem that is not only with our society, but it's within the church. So this group of people in here today, and it's hard for me to see every one of you, but we struggle with connecting and staying connected. When our relationships, it can be with our relationship with our spouse, our children, but more importantly and most importantly, relationship to God. A few statistics to give to you. I did some research, and this is from the Pew Research Center. You ever heard of that before? So it's apparently an organization that's responsible for doing studies on Christianity or just churchgoers in general here in the United States. Here's the study. The study found that Christians accounted for 90% of the population 50 years ago. I wonder where that's at now. So in light of today, today that number is supposedly 64%. So in 50 years, you've gone from 90% to 64%. By 2070, the year 2070, 35 to 46% is the range they give that will identify themselves as church-going Christians. What's the reason for that? There's gotta be a reason. God's not stopping his work on earth. God doesn't no longer move in our lives. He's still there, he's still present. I think the problem is we've become completely disconnected. And we've got people, and again, I'm responsible for this too. There are Sundays I come into church, there are Mondays at work, there are Wednesdays at home, I don't have it, and I've lost it, and it's hard to get that back. And this morning, I kind of want to talk about that, but the study went in and talked about the fact that people's needs are being met at a higher level than ever before. 
And I know you see the commercials on TV for poverty and hunger, and those things still exist, right? But at the end of the day, can we agree we have more of our needs met today in our society than we ever have, right? People have what they need. So that dependence on God, according to the study, is that dependence is growing deeper and deeper. There's a disparity there. So that's the issue with the Pew study. I think it comes down to simply a connection problem. And yes, our needs being met can be part of that. So how do we reestablish a connection? I think there's two people here today. Number one, there's the person that's been saved, they've encountered Jesus, they've received the Holy Spirit, they've been changed, yet they struggle with that intermittent connection problem. Number two, maybe you're here today and you have no background in church, you have no relationship with Jesus you never had up until this point, and maybe today's the day I can give you something that will allow you to get to that point. So I'm a process-driven person, right? I'm a, and it was instilled in me from a young age. My mother is here in the audience, and that's dangerous. You, you know, they say, they say you can never be a prophet in your own hometown. Well, I've got a lot of people that know me very well in this room, so hopefully you can see beyond my faults. But I'm a process-driven person, and she instilled it into me from a very, very young age. I would always be the kid that, and I'm sure parents, you can identify with this. Kids ever lost toys? Huh? Or, or, or lost their phone, or my daughter's in here somewhere, lost her AirPods. Can't find one of the two. What do parents tell you? Retrace your what? Retrace your steps. It's simple. When's the last time you had them? The last memory of you having those AirPods, or the last memory of you having that toy. And sure enough, I was horrible at it when I was young. Mom would walk in the room and go, here it is. I told you. She was seasoned. I was not. And now I'm in that role of doing the same thing with my child, right? I'm helping her retrace her steps. One of the crazy things in dealing with this life and being a process-driven person is now that I've seen this and I've seen how it works, a lot of times my answers to problems are A plus B plus C equals D, right? It's easy. I don't work in squares and all the other little numbers that, that go in there and the square root of this and that, but it's simple. So hopefully we can get a framework today of how do we either establish a connection for the first time or how do we reestablish a connection that's been broken, right? So I'm going to look at a couple of passages today, and the first one's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to start there. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the story here. So the first point, if you want a point, right, and I'm not a big point person, but the first point would be you need to be introspective today and think and look into your own life. And that's hard to do sometimes because you can look too deep and you might find some stuff that you didn't think was there. You may say, oh, God, that's ugly. Anybody did, anybody did that? Yeah? So I'm introspective. I try to look in and see what it is that's standing in the way. Number one, guys, is sin. That's number one. And I hate to be so simplistic about it, but it's true. God is ever-present around us. He's here in this room right now. The Spirit is with me currently. But what happens is I sin. Remember, I'm covered by the blood of what? Jesus, right? Jesus has restored my connection with God. But right here between the ears, as a human being, I know that I treated my spouse like dirt three hours ago, which I'm not saying I did, but example. And I know that, therefore, 
I bring that into the relationship with God, and it causes a distance. It causes a separation. It's us. It's not God. I'll start there. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We'll go 1 through 5. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. So let's pull back. David is king over Israel at this time. Normally, kings go out to war, and I think Luke's probably mentioned this at some point in time in a sermon, but the king's responsibility was to go out to war with his armies. In this instance, we're going to find David, number one, not being in the right place, and that's going to lead to a chain of events. It's going to lead to sin in David's life, and we'll see what David's response is. The second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So there we go. Point number one, not what? Where he's supposed to be, right? So David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. This begins the chain reaction. Okay. Problem number one, not being where he's supposed to be. Problem number two, seeing something lusting after it, and then acting on it, right? And that sets off a chain of events. And we're not going to go through the entirety of this story, but we know that David sins. He tries to cover it up. Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him exactly how God is going to handle this. And David then goes into a stage uh, or of recognition, right, at that point. He also kills the woman's husband, by the way, sends him out to the front line so that he's killed so that then he could secretly take Bathsheba in as his wife and cover it all up. Doesn't work that way, right? There's a consequence for our actions. And again, the first thing that's stopping the connection that we have, that lost connection is sin. But I want to look at David's response. So it, it doesn't just stop with that. We recognize what the sin is. We recognize what the problems are. But number two, how do we fix it? How do we respond? When the time comes that we see our heart and we see the wrong that we've done, and it doesn't have to be adultery. It could be pornography, same thing. It can be the way we treat other people. Luke says it all the time. It's just the way I am, right? No, it's not the way we have to end up. So let's look at Psalm chapter 51. This is verse 1 through 12. And again, you have to see this. I talked with somebody earlier. See the connection. So the story is in 2 Samuel. We know Psalms is the entire book of Psalms is David writing songs rejoicing to God about things, songs lamenting about sin in his life, songs giving God praise in nature. You, you fill in the blank. There's a psalm for it. And it's connected to the life David lived. So we look at what we do as a worship team, so we have the opportunity, we've been writing music, right, and writing songs. Where's it coming from? It's coming from us. It's coming from our experiences, and those experiences are then put into words. So here's David's response in uh, Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That's powerful. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me, and this is where you, you notice this verse. This is what popular. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You want to know what the response is that we should have? You want a blueprint? That's it. A recognition of what God is, who God is. A recognition that, guess what? Any result that comes of what I've done is warranted. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death, right? We understand that. We live in a fallen, broken world. We have to accept those consequences. But it doesn't mean we can't be restored. It doesn't mean the connection can't come back together. We can't be woven back together again with God. And remember, God is there. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. It's our own stuff that gets in the way. Don't forget that either. Point number two. So I'll talk a little bit about this, and this is, I'm not going to bash technology this morning. I'm going to try not to, at least. When I was preparing for this message, I'm on my iPad, which I have in front of me right here, which I just learned this morning how to turn this thing into, what, what mode do you call it? Silent mode or something? Like it's got a moon? I am, I don't want to know how to do stuff with technology. I don't like it because it stresses me out. I'm preparing for the message a few weeks back and I'm sitting in my office one early one morning and I'm praying and I'm looking at the scriptures I wanna use and thinking about it and I'm getting notifications. I'm getting emails from work. I'm getting text messages from friends in my life, from family. I'm getting notifications of my bank card being used at this location. I almost screamed. Literally in the moment, I wanted to scream. I'm like, and this has happened to me over and over and over again. I've just realized I feel so distracted. Anybody else just feel like, like anxiety is up to here? Why is it? I wasn't like that 15 years ago. I had a Nokia and it had snake on it. You remember that? If you show your age, right? If you remember the brick Nokia you could hurt someone with by throwing it, it could be a weapon. Man, I just... I get overwhelmed now, right? So it just reminded me that the second piece to this is connecting and finding a quiet place. We can even be guilty of doing this, and Trisha and I, my wife Trisha, we, we've talked about it, but even in listening to music in the car, sometimes I'm, I've got worship music playing, and that's great, okay? We can all agree it's, it's a good thing to listen, listen to worship music that glorifies Jesus, right? Sometimes it's good to cut that off too. Sometimes it's good to cut that off too. When do we just get in the still, in the quiet, and allow the stillness of a moment to speak to us? Right? To stop and say, God, I want to hear from you. 
and then shut up. Don't listen. Cut off the podcast. Self-help podcast, just get rid of it because it, it drives me crazy too. Here's the 10 steps. I'm giving you three today. <laughs> They're going to give you 10, right? So seeking that quiet place I think is important. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 42. At this point in Matthew, remember Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem. And Jesus knows that he is about to be crucified put to death and resurrected, right? He spoke of it. He's told his disciples over and over again, this is what's going to happen to me. But it's never become more real in this, than it does in this moment in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he seeks out a still, quiet place. And in this instance, this is one of the weightiest moments of Jesus' human existence on earth. So in, in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Hinting, if there's any other way that I don't have to go through this suffering, please let it be. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you you men have kept watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away then a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. So we find an instance where Jesus is separating himself from everyone else. And I think for us, the illustration there is is one that we can hang our hat on. When's it time to shut the phone off? When's it time to turn the music off? When's it time to, for me, it's the sports radio show, the podcast that I listen to. I have, by the way, LSU uh, won the SEC West, just in case you're wondering. So go Tigers. I know all you Texas and A&M fans are a little sad, but I hope that didn't ruin the message for you. Um, Back to what I was saying. So where was I? Now I got really distracted there with LSU. Thank you. Thank you. Turn off the podcast. I have the problem with the sports radio podcast, and I find myself, after I've listened to two hours of it, I'm literally meditating on it myself in my own quiet time. Those thoughts are going through my mind. Shut it off. When's the last time you shut your cell phone off for an entire day? Anybody? Recently? Like, literally shut it off. Does that create anxiety in you just thinking about that? For a lot of people, it's like, oh my gosh, like, but what if, what if someone needs me and it's an emergency? Well, what did they do 20 years ago? I remember being with my parents at the mall in Lafayette, Louisiana, 45 minutes from my house, and I just knew my friends were calling and leaving messages on the answering machine for me to go out that night, and I was missing out. Is it so bad to miss out on some of those things, right? So maybe that's something you need to think about doing. Maybe it's, it's how do we go ahead and, and block out some of this noise? Third thing, allow nature to sing his praises. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? 
cool, man, we got a pretty good group. So I got a picture up here, and I'll tell a story. Um, I was in college. Um, I went with a girlfriend and her family. That was interesting. Um, to the Grand Canyon, and... Uh, <laughs> Got to experience this for the first time, so I was probably 19, 20 years old, something like that. If you've never been, which I know that looked like about 50-50, if you've never been, this picture does no justice. You see this postcard, you've seen it places, you open the book with the natural wonders of the world, and you see this and you go, oh, the Grand Canyon, right? Which is what I did for the first 19 years of my life, and then on year 19 or 20, whatever it was, I walked up from the south rim of the Grand Canyon. It's very flat, matter of fact, around at the top up there. That's what it looks like. There's like one singular mountain in Flagstaff that you can see off in the distance. Otherwise, completely flat. And you walk up to this thing for the first time, and I'm telling you, in the moment, I thought there's no way that there is not a God that has molded and shaped. And yes, it may be wind and erosion related, but God created this. He painted the deserts. He put water over the face of the earth. He created the mountains. I mean, a lot of times we get so caught up in being connected to the wrong things like man-made stuff. And it may be technology related, but all we see around us, everything we see in here, right? It's all man-made. I mean, we've got a screen and a projector. We've got a guitar. We made that. We've got an iPad. We've got speakers. If you sit in here all day long and don't take the opportunity or the time out to go and Take a walk. Listen to the wind blow through the trees. Those things are reminders, man, that there is a God that is more powerful than anything we can imagine, that has power to move in our lives, that is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. And when we do that, when we can remember that and go to that place, I think that helps to bring that connection back and it helps us reestablish that connection. So Psalm 19 I'm sorry, a few of them, I'm skipping over here. Romans 1, 18 through 20, and this was a part of one of Luke's messages before, but I think it's, it illustrates the point. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed um, from heaven against all godless, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The evidence of God and his existence in this life, according to this scripture right here, is in what he created. From the beginning of time, we have no excuse. And think about the ancients. Go back two, 3,000 years ago. I'll tell you one thing that every last people group got right. And look, some of them believed in polytheism, which is multiple gods. We, we believe in monotheism, one god. But one thing that they got right was they looked up at the stars. The Greeks did it. The Romans did it. Our ancient people that lived here, Native American tribes, did it. They looked up at the universe and the stars in the sky, the mountains, the lakes, the rivers, everything that they interacted with on a daily basis, and they said, there is no way that we had anything to do with this. None. So they worshipped God or gods. Now they've got, again, polytheism. There's some things that we don't believe there for sure. 
But you can look at that and say, well, what's the difference? Well, now all I do is surround myself with man-made stuff 24-7. That's all that gets put into my mind. So those inputs that we have that are influencing our output, I think, is where the message lies for us today. And it lies at the core of who do we want to become? You know, do we want to become the church? And I'm specifically speaking of the ark in Huntsville, this group that we're a part of. Do we want to be a church that just comes here on Sunday morning, remains disconnected, never addresses the sin in our life, never takes time to go and meet with God and be separated with him? with no distractions. Do we want to be that people or do we want to be connected? Do we want to influence others? At the end of the day, do we want to take a message out there and do we want to have more people come to know Jesus because of us? I'm telling you, you can walk through your Christian life knowing Jesus, knowing who he is and never tapping into that connection because of this stuff, allowing this to get in the way. So it's just my prayer this morning. Again, it's a simple message. Um, I, I think it's, it's from my heart. It's what I've been dealing with. And I, that, that idea of cutting through the noise and allowing God's spirit to move in our lives is just at the core of being a Christian and allowing God to move and, and work. And that's my prayer for us.